This podcast is brought to you by the Administrative Committee of the Presbyterian Church in America, promoting the unity, purity, and progress of the church. Learn more about the Administrative Committee and support its work by visiting PCAAC.org. Welcome to Gifts and Graces. All Christians have communion in each other's gifts and graces, says the Westminster Confession. So on this podcast, we help you and your church benefit from the gifts and graces of other parts of Christ's body. Each episode, we bring you a seminar, sermon, or discussion from church leaders across the country and around the world designed to promote the unity, purity, and progress of the church. This is Gifts and Graces. On this episode of Gifts and Graces, Reverend Albert McGowan preaches on John 21 verses 1 through 19. Reverend McGowan is the senior pastor of Redeemer Church in Jackson, Mississippi. This was originally recorded as a sermon delivered at the 2022 General Assembly in Birmingham. Let's listen as Reverend McGowan preaches from John's Gospel. Good afternoon. I have the privilege of uh, breaking open the bread of life for you tonight, and I pray that the Lord Jesus Christ will encourage your hearts. You have your Bibles, I'd invite you to turn them to John 21, and I want you to uh, just keep keep your hands in the text, keep your Bibles open, because we'll be uh, letting the Holy Spirit uh, lead us through God's Word. Before I read the text, I want to pray for us, and then I'll kind of frame the passage, and then we'll jump in. Let's pray. Father Almighty, we bless you, and we love you, and the song that we just sang, Lord, could, be, could not be more truer. Our sins are many, and yet your mercy is more. Father, I I thank you for these men and these women, these ruling elders, teaching elders, missionaries, spouses who support and walk alongside men in ministry who love your church. And I pray, Lord, that this would be uh, a time where you build us up. I pray, Lord, that we would make much of your grace. I pray that we would uh, love it and savor it and chew on it and cherish it and never set it aside. I pray, Lord, that you will speak through your servant for your glory. Amen. The revenge genre is one of the most powerful forms of storytelling. Some of my favorite revenge movies are The Black Panther by Marvel, or Gladiator, or Taken. And Marvel's Black Panther, uh, Marvel's Black Panther, Eric Killmonger's father is killed while he's playing basketball uh, in California. He sees a spaceship arrive, he sees the spaceship leaves, and he walks into the home and he finds that his father has been killed with panther claws in his chest. And Eric was an orphan. And he grew up his entire life seeking revenge. And then he visited Wakanda and he shows up and he faces T'Challa and he says these words, You are not the son of a king. You're a son of a murderer. 
I've lived my entire life waiting for this moment. I've trained, I've lied, I've killed just to get here to kill you. Revenge. Or the movie Gladiator. Tell me, what is your name? My name is Gladiator. Father to a murdered son, husband to a murdered wife, and I will get vengeance. Or Liam Neeson in the movie Taken, his daughter is kidnapped in Paris, and and you've seen this. He's on the phone with the guy who kidnaps his daughter, and he says, he, he calls him, and they're on the line. He says, I don't know who you are or what you want. If you're looking for a ransom, I don't have money. But what I do have are a very particular set of skills. Skills that make me a nightmare for people like you. If you let my daughter go now, this can end. But if you do not, I will look for you and I will find you and I will kill you. And the rest of the movie is about revenge. It's about a father who avenges the life of his daughter. That sells in Hollywood and we like it. And if you read John for the first time, you might be tempted to think that the Bible is going to follow the same script. In John 18 and 19, a son is unjustly killed. And you would think that the father would avenge his death and would come instantly and pour out wrath and fury on everyone who played a role in his son's betrayal. You would think that if this son is resurrected from the dead in John 20, that the son who has all power in his right and his left hand, what he will do is show up and and carry out vengeance. He will, will summon the host of heaven and he will tear down everyone who played a role in his betrayal. But the Bible breaks the script. That is not how the father responds. It's not how the son responds. Listen to this. This is on the heels of Jesus's unjust betrayal. This is on the heels of Jesus having suffered and died and bled. This is on the heels of his betrayal. What will the son do? We're not debating the resurrection. The resurrection was real and it happened. What we are peering into is what is the son like when he is raised in power? This is what we read. After this, Jesus revealed himself again to his disciples by the Sea of Tiberias. And he revealed himself in this way. Simon Peter, Thomas called the twin, Nathaniel of Cana and Galilee, the sons of Zebedee and two other of his disciples were together. Simon Peter said to them, I am going fishing. They said to him, we will go with you. They went out and got in the boat. But that night they caught nothing. Just as day was breaking, Jesus stood on the shore. Yet the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to them, children, do you have any fish? They answered him, no. He said to them, cast the net on the right side of the boat and you will find some. And so they cast it. And now they were not able to haul it in because of the quantity of fish. That disciple whom Jesus loved, therefore, said to Peter, it is the Lord. When Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on his outer garment for he was stripped for work and he threw himself into the sea. And the other disciples came in the boat, dragging the net full of fish, for they were not far from the land, but were a hundred yards off. 
When they got out on the land, they saw a charcoal fire in place and with fish laid out on it and bread. And Jesus said to them, bring me some of the fish that you just caught. Simon Peter went abroad and hauled the net ashore full of large fish, 153 of them. And although there were so many, the net was not torn. Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. Now, none of the disciples dared ask him, who are you? They knew that it was the Lord. Jesus came and took the bread and gave it to them. And so with the fish, this was now the third time that Jesus was revealed to the disciples after he was raised from the dead. When they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, feed my lambs. He said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, tend my sheep. He said to him a third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. Truly, truly, I say to you, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted. But when you were old, you would stretch out your hands and another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. This he said to show by what kind of death he was to glorify God. And after saying this, he said to him, follow me. Amen. John wants us to see that Jesus gives grace to those who fail miserably. His grace is real. It finds them. It forgives them. It recommissions them. And his grace changes them. This room is full of people who love Jesus and his church. Nobody wakes up and says, let's go to Birmingham, Alabama for GA and pay twice as much for flights, twice as much for gas. And the hottest part of the year. Hey, I, I can talk about Alabama. I married a woman from Alabama. I went to school 90 miles north of here, so I, I can kind of joke our weather in Mississippi and Alabama, our weather patterns are alike. You're here, ruling elder, teaching elder, wife, child, missionary, evangelist. You're here because you love the church and you love the king of the church. And at some point, those of us who love him will fail him. I'm talking about those 10 to 25 seconds when we short circuit. I'm talking about the sin that we do not want to do, that we find ourselves doing. I'm talking about the moments when we do not live consistent with our beliefs. We lose our temper. We lack patience. We lust. We say hurtful things. We do hurtful things. We hate our enemies. We practice partiality. We don't believe the gospel. We shrink back from having hard gospel conversations. We attempt to find joy in created things rather than our creator. What do you do when that happens? What is Jesus's posture towards you? You've come to the text. I pray that it encourages our souls. I pray that it makes us make much of his grace. Here's the first thing I want us to look at. The disciples fell miserably. 
and they need abundant grace just like us. That's the first thing. The disciples fail miserably and they need abundant grace just like us. Our passage begins with some important information. First, John tells us where the events take place. They take place at the Sea of Tiberias. He also tells us that that seven of the 11 disciples are present. Judas is dead, so there's 11 left, and and seven are here on this lake or on this sea. And we know these names. We know Peter and Thomas and Nathaniel. We know them. They're disciples, but they're more than Jesus' disciples. In John 15, something beautiful happened. Jesus says, I no longer call you servants. I call you my friends. And greater love has no man than this, that a man would lay down his life for his friend. I do not call you servants. I call you friends for every single thing the Father has wanted me to deliver to you. I have done that. You lack no good thing. I will withhold nothing from you, nothing that my father has revealed to me that you need to know. Even if it takes me three years of living with you and being with you, I will exhaust myself to tell you every single thing you need to know. You're my friends. And at the the crust of this, I will lay down my life because you're my friends. And was Jesus faithful to his friends? Yes, Were they faithful to him? No. He asked them to pray. They all slept. Judas betrayed him for money and then told him where they met in the garden frequently for discipleship. Peter cut off Malchus's ear and Jesus had to fix his mess. And then he denied him three times. And then another man named Simon, Simon, not not Simon Peter, not Simon the Zealot, but an African man, Simon of Cyrene, after Jesus had been beaten to a pulp. It was that Simon of Cyrene who helped Jesus carry his cross, not his two Simons that he called friends. And his friends left him on a cross. It was Joseph of Arimathea who was a secret disciple who went and asked for Jesus's body, not his friends. And it was Nicodemus who followed Jesus in the night, who came with 75 pounds of myrrh and aloe to to anoint him and to give him a burial. And it was the two Marys there who were with him. And you know where his disciples were? They were in a room locked because they were afraid of the Jews. And in our passage, they're 70 miles north of Jerusalem. And we don't know why. We think they were told to remain in Jerusalem until the Holy Spirit comes. Why are they 70 miles north? Some say that they were disobedient. Others say, hey, they had to feed their families. They had to go and make a living and go catch some fish and eat. Others say, hey, they sent a delegate. They sent seven up. Four probably stayed in Jerusalem. Some say they are trying to get out of ministry. We don't know. What we do know is that John is picking up on the theme of Jesus's friends are failing him. Now, how do we know? 
Because John tells us they went out in the night to go fishing. Same vocabulary for Judas, who went out in the night and betrayed. Their fishing was fruitless. The entire night they caught nothing, absolutely nothing. John is picking up on the theme. They're running. They're getting away. They're failing. They won't stay in Jerusalem. They won't have his back. They will get far away from him. They can't even go fish. They are being fake friends. Can't we relate? Who in this room has been a perfect friend to Jesus? We raise our hands a lot at GA when we're doing the business of the church. We're raising it and we're voting it and we're trying to get to a mic. But raise your hand if you have met his loving kindness with perfect obedience. Raise your hand if you have served him with pure motives all the time. Raise your hand if what you know in your mind is perfectly meshed with your desires and how you live and how you speak and how you behave and how you conduct yourself. Raise your hand if you always take up your cross and deny yourself and you follow him. Look around the room. Not one hand is raised. I don't care what we project on Twitter and what we project on the floor. Deep down inside, we all know. He is such a faithful and good Lord. He has withheld no good thing from him, from us. In his right hand and his left hand are pleasures forevermore. And if we're honest, we fail. And we get discouraged. And we stand in week in and week out to preach the good news. And there are weeks where we want to run. Because we're growing in our knowledge of him. We're seeing our sin, but we're seeing God's majesty. And it does something to our souls. And we want to run. I get it why they're 70 miles away. The pain of failing and the shame of sin is heavy. We're like them. But there's good news here. They needed abundant grace. And Jesus has a lot of it to give. Which is our second point. Jesus has abundant grace to give. His grace finds us. His grace forgives us. His grace recommissions us. And so there's a beautiful turn in the passage, and it's in verse four. Just as day was breaking, Jesus stood on the shore. 
And on this day, the S-U-N was not the only thing shining on those failing disciples. The S-O-N shows up. And in verses 4 through 14, we get a master class of God's grace. Jesus takes the grace of the cross from something abstract to something tangible. It's not theoretical grace, but it's real grace applied to real failures. If you want to put skin on grace, look at John 21 and watch your master move. Here's what we learn about the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. He pursues people who need it. Verse four. Did you catch that Jesus stood on the shore at daybreak and they didn't even know who he was. So he could not have made that journey with them that he wasn't riding shotgun with them, chopping it up. They went on their own away from him and Jesus shows up and they didn't even know who he was. He talked about being the good shepherd that if one strays away, I will go find him. And here you got seven of his disciples, 70 miles north. And the good shepherd says, I will go get them. I don't know how he got up there. Did he just phase up there? You know, this is the the, the resurrected Jesus who kind of slides through doors, right? They're locked in a room and Jesus just shows up like I'm here, right? Did Jesus just phase himself 70 miles? I don't know how he got there. But he got there. Oh, may you marvel at grace. His grace is persistent. Now catch the new ones. You need to look at this in your Bibles because I think John is dropping us a Trinitarian clue. Look at verse one. It says, after this, Jesus was, after this, Jesus revealed himself again to the disciples and he revealed himself. So that's active. Jesus is doing the revealing. But look at verse 14. This was now the third time that Jesus was revealed. Whoa, that's passive. And for all of you who know Greek, you know what's happening here, right? Is Jesus the one revealing himself? Or is someone else saying, no, I want you to go. I want you to go because I love them. Which one is it? Is he doing the revealing or is he being revealed? And the answer is both. It's the father who says to them, though they are my son, I want you to go and go and go and go. And Jesus says, Daddy, I'm going to beat you to it. I'm already going because I love them. This is not only the father, the son and the spirit. They're doing this over and over and over again. They are persistent in finding failures. Oh, may we sing grace. The grace of Jesus is endearing. Did you catch the first words out of Jesus's mouth here in verse five? The first word is children. Can I be honest with you? If my homies treated me like that, you didn't come to my funeral. You didn't come to make sure I had a proper burial. You wouldn't pray for me. You went to sleep. You betrayed me in my deepest hour of need. I got some words for you, but it's not children. I can't repeat them. I might call you fake, phony, 
imposters, half-hearted, heathen, selfish fools. That's what I might be tempted to call you. But he doesn't. He calls them children. And this is good because in John 13, 33, he calls them children. And then they betray him. And then he dies. And then he is resurrected. And then they're running. And he still calls them children. Their hearts may be running, but their status Still the same as rebels. Oh, may we sing of grace. And he forgives to the uttermost, verses 9 and 12 and 13. And our temptation probably is to focus on the big catch. That's the miracle. But I actually think the back door will get us. The real miracle is not what's happening in the water. The miracle is what's happening on the shore while they are out there in the water. And what is happening on the shore? Look at what the text says in verse nine. When they got out on land, they saw a charcoal fire in place with fish laid on it and bread. Y'all catch that? Jesus don't need they fish. I know that's broken English, but it preaches. He don't need they fish. He got a fire already cooking. He got fish and bread already in the oven. So what is Jesus doing? He went there not just to pursue them. He went there to spread a table for them. He went there that he invited them to breakfast. He gave them bread and fish. He did this. Now, here's the thing. He went there with the intent on having a picnic with his friends who played him. Breakfast with his betrayers, food with failures, and he was the host. And the seashore was his living room. And the rising sun provided ambient lighting. And the sound of waves and winds and birds, that was his Spotify playlist. And the method of cooking was charcoal. And the guests of honor were Failures and the host welcoming them to the table. It's Jesus. This was not just for calories, beloved. Jesus is enacting grace. He's spreading a table and saying, you are forgiven. Let's raise the toast and let's eat together. And this is a costly meal. It cost me my blood and my sweat and my tears. This is not a cheap meal. You can't pay for this meal. Only Calvary makes this type of meal possible. But Jesus serves it up. In the movie Antoine Fisher starring Denzel Washington, Derek Luke and Viola Davis, and it's based on a true story. Antoine Fisher's father is killed and his mother was pregnant with him, but she was incarcerated. And she had him while incarcerated and therefore she had to give him up and she was supposed to come and get him after she was released, but she never showed up. And he ended up going into the foster system. And he had a horrible foster experience, awful, God awful. And so he ran away and then he joined the Navy. 
And you can imagine a guy with this type of trauma. He's not only been sinned against, but he begins to hurt other people. And in the Navy, he's put in jail and he has to meet with Denzel Washington, who's the psychiatrist. And Denzel tells him, your past is wrecking your present. And it will destroy your future. You have to get help. You have to make amends. You have to find your birth family. And so he does. He finds his mother. And the movie ends with this beautiful scene. He walks into a house and he meets his uncles and aunties and cousins. And then there's a double door and the double door opens. And in that room are the matriarchs and the patriarchs of the family. And there's a woman with her old withered hands and she summons him forward. And then the camera zooms in kneel in front of them and they got some cornbread and some gravy and some rice and some fried catfish and some ham and some chicken and some green beans and some pancakes and some mac and cheese and this woman summons him in and then she takes her weathered hands and just rubs his face and then she says, welcome, let's eat. And this boy was angry and sad. He smiles. Why? It wasn't just about a meal, was it? It was about family and your home. And we're never going anywhere. That is what Jesus is doing. He's saying, you're home and we're family and I'm never, ever, ever going away. Oh, may we make much grace and his abundant grace. There's more. It keeps snowballing, right? I, 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 I think it ought to stop. And then Jesus says, no, it's not going to stop. His abundant grace also recommissions failures. And so he is persistent. He is endearing. He is forgiving. He finds them, but then he recommissions them. And this is all for and through his grace. Claude H.O. in his book, Reading Black Books, how African-American literature can make our faith more whole and just. Here's what he writes. In Toni Morrison's book, Beloved, Seth is free, but she is not whole. The traumas of slavery do not, do not leave upon her reaching freedom, but they continue to haunt her body, mind, and soul. Here's what he says. Freedom may be her status, but trauma lives in. You ever felt like forgiveness is your status? But failure lives in your bones? Peter would know this more than anybody else. And so I think John 21 is actually about Peter and the rest of the people are just kind of there. This is about Peter. Let me tell you why. Look at the list of names. Whose name is first? Peter. Whose idea is it to go fishing? Peter. 
When John realizes that it's Jesus on the shore, who does he turn to and say, the Lord is there? He turns to Peter. Who jumps in the water? Peter. Who does Jesus pull aside after breakfast? Peter. This is about Peter's recommission. And Peter blew it. Every gospel writer talks about Peter's failure. Every one of them. And Luke says that Jesus saw Peter. Luke says that when Peter denied him the third time, they made eye contact. And Peter wept and went out. And he's still going out in this passage. Peter has been forgiven. Failure is in his bones. And what Jesus is doing is laying new memories on top of his old ones. Let me show you. That Sea of Tiberias, that's the same body of water as the Sea of Galilee. The same body of water in Luke 5 when Jesus called Peter and Andrew. Remember that? They were out fishing on this same lake and at night they caught nothing. And the rabbi Jesus says, hey, won't you cast it out a little deeper? And they says, master, we're we're washing our nets. We toiled here all night, but at your word, we will obey. And so they cast out their nets and they caught a haul. And Peter says, depart from me. I'm a sinful man. And Jesus says, no, I will not depart from you. You follow me and I will make you fishers of men. And so this is completing the circuit. Peter, I started with you and I want you to be a fisher of men. And you failed me. And we're going to go back to the lake. And we're going to do it all over again. That charcoal fire, the only time it's used in the Bible, John 18. The last time Peter was around a charcoal fire, he was denying three times. Jesus says, Peter, I'm going to lay a new memory on top of that. I'm going to make you a fire. And this is what I want you to remember. Don't remember your failures. Remember my grace. That miraculous catch of 153 fish is not about the fish. It's about the fact that they had a catch and not one single fish escaped. Jesus is telling Peter, I want you to feed my lambs, feed my lambs, feed my lambs. I want you to go and still be a fisher of men. And by my grace, I will lose not one. Every one of them, every one of them who are my people will come in. And when you preach after Pentecost, 3000 will come to faith and not one of them will fall away. You see what Jesus is doing? I want you. My promises are still yes and amen. You are still my. Fisher of men. And this is an instance where Peter has to taste his own product. Y'all ever been cooking? And you cooking and you cooking and you cooking. And you gotta put a spoon in it to taste it. And you keep cooking, you put a spoon in it to taste it. And then when you taste it, you now serve it. What Jesus is doing to Peter is this Peter, you're gonna feed him just like I've been feeding you. But I'm not you're not feeding anything you haven't become acquainted with 
yourself. You're preaching grace and you need it. You're pursuing failures and I'm pursuing you. Do you see? What do we do? How do we respond to such grace? What does Peter do when Peter realizes this Jesus? He jumps into the sea and he swims and he runs. When the other disciples realize it's Jesus, they turn the boat and they go. This is what we do with our failings, beloved. We run to Jesus. And you might be saying, this is just for them. This is just a history lesson. That is just how he loved them. And John says, no, Jesus did many other signs that are not written, but these are written so that you may believe. These promises are for you and me. Pastor Jesus sees the fight. First lady, he sees the war. Children, he sees your failings. And what the enemy wants to do is to make you run. And Jesus says, run to me. Come to me. Run to the table. Drink of grace. And then tell the greatest story the world needs to hear. That our king is different. He is better. He breaks the script. He atones for sins. He cooks breakfast for his betrayers. He pursues those who leave. He is good. Our last point. The abundant grace of Jesus makes failures strong. Man, you look at verse 18 and 19. Jesus gives this hard word and saying to Peter. He says, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and you walk wherever you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. This he said to show by what kind of death he was to glorify God. And after this, he said to him, follow me. You catch what Jesus just did? He said, Peter, when you were young, you were foolish and you were selfish. and You lived for your own glory. But when you get old, you're going to go and die for me on the cross. You hear what Jesus is telling him? My grace will change you. My grace will give you fortitude that was not there. My grace will give you holiness that was lacking. My grace will make you strong in the face of persecution. My grace will get inside of you and take failure out of your bones and make you tough and resolute and resolved. You can change and you will change. How? Jesus is going to point out Peter's sin. Peter, do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me? And Peter is grieved the third time because he knows what Jesus is doing. Jesus is putting his hand right on Peter's sin and failure. And Peter laments. He is broken. 
he is crushed. And finally, Peter says, Lord, I give up. You know. And then Jesus says, feed my sheep. What's going on there? I think Jesus is telling him. You love me. You love yourself more than me. In your worldly bravado, you put confidence in your flesh and your power and you were sifted and you failed. You loved your reputation among strangers more than me. You loved your life more than me and you were wrong and I died for that. But Peter, I want you to do something different. I want you to trust me. Not your strength, but mine. Not your love for me, but my love for you. Peter, I love you more than freedom. I love you more than my reputation among others. I let them beat me and strip me and stretch me out. I love you more than life itself. And it's that pattern of seeing his sin and seeing his need and seeing God's beauty and seeing God's majesty and seeing Jesus' faithful pursuit of him that over time, God's glory and his mercy and his forgiveness and his tenderness and his pursuit of us, that it is his kindness that moves us to repentance. That over time, grace is going to get in Peter's bones and make him strong. And as you study the Bible, you get to the book of Acts, he goes before rulers. And I know he has a slip up in Galatians, right? But there's grace there for him there. But the Lord changes him. Church history tells us that Peter was crucified. He did something so unorthodox, just like he does in this passage. He puts his clothes on to jump in the water to get to Jesus. This is Peter. He's about to be crucified. He said, no, put me upside down, Doc. It's Peter. This is why 2 Peter 1, he writes, grace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of our God and King. His divine power has granted us all things. Peter gets it that if he is going to change, if he is going to be resolute, if he is going to grow in love and kindness and faithfulness, it is going to have to be God's grace coming to him by the spirit through the word. And Peter is changed. Grace is changing you, beloved. You can't see it right now. But it is at work. Day by day, and you'll look up years down the road, you'll have victory. Let grace keep doing its work. Let Jesus keep pursuing and loving and forgiving and forbearing and disciplining and doing everything Jesus does as your good king. And we'll be changed. Beloved, failing is hard. Jesus is good. Grace is real. His grace will find, forgive, and restore you. His grace will purify and change you. Let him work and cooperate with him. Let's pray.
Father in heaven, we bless you. We thank you for your word. We thank you for putting skin on grace in the person and the work of Jesus. Father, I pray that those here will be built up in the faith. I pray that as we confront the manifold ways in which we fall short, that we would learn what it means to thrust ourselves and to draw near and to swim and to run and to row back to King Jesus who gives grace liberally. Father, make us a people who do not use grace as a license for sin, but as Paul tells us, let grace train us to renounce ungodliness as we wait for the revealing of King Jesus. May it all be by grace and for grace and through grace and the praise of your name. We love you. Amen. You can hear more talks like this by subscribing to the Gifts and Graces podcast. You can also hear more content like this by attending a seminar at General Assembly. They are free and open to the public. Find out times and locations by visiting pcaga.org. Thanks for listening to Gifts and Graces.